0: From Matthew 16 verse 16 through 18. Acts 1 verse 7 and 8. Romans 15 verse 23 and 24. And finally Luke 24 verses 25 through 28. So Matthew 16 verse 16 through 18. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now Acts 1, 7 and 8. I have written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again. Because of the grace of God gave to me—oh no, I think I'm on the wrong part there, (laughs) sorry—23. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while." And now Luke 24, 25 through 28. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further.
1: Text is those last verses, or last words of verse twenty-eight, that Jesus is going farther. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we've been looking at the the story of the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus and the sense of the journey that they are on. And at this point, we come to a, an unusual phrase here: the fact that after Jesus has explained many things to them then as they reach the village jesus pretends or acts as if he's going farther. and so so why why did he after explaining all the scriptures to them why did he now act as if he was going farther the possibilities include, first of all, that it was politeness. There was the sense of hospitality in in the region at a time, and, and so he hadn't been invited to stay with them, and so he wouldn't intrude on them. So just generally politeness, and that is definitely one way of understanding it, in terms of his his not demanding hospitality, his not saying, oh, I'll stay with you. Uh, people almost always offered hospitality was a good thing and, and a pride thing in that culture. And so even the fact that, that he kind of acted as if he was going farther, expecting them to say, oh, stay with us, and then they do. So just a little detail that that would make the story more culturally, yeah, that that happened. So it would be just a humble Jesus pretending, acting as if he would go farther. The sense of hospitality is already present in biblical accounts all the way back to Genesis where as the angels come to Sodom to save Lot, then Lot comes and invites them to stay in his house. There's a real sense of, yeah, this is normal, good kindness. Definitely there. On the other hand, why this phrase is here is very, very specific to the fact that Jesus is going farther. That's why it's here, especially. Jesus is going farther. He is actually going farther. He has spoken to them. He has explained things to them. And now he is going on. And I want to highlight this morning the reality that on this day, this passage out of Luke 24, is Easter Day. This is the risen Lord Jesus with his risen body and As the living Lord, he is starting out on a journey of declaring that new hope, that that wonderful gospel salvation truth to the whole world. He is the, the living Lord. This is the day that he has conquered death and that he has started out on the road of ministry, and he has started by encouraging these two disciples who struggled in their sorrow, as we all do, and and he has comforted them, he has encouraged them, and now he is going farther. He does not need to stop and rest. Psalm 121 says, Our God does not grow tired or weary. He's no longer tied to the human flesh. When he was in the boat on the sea with the disciples, he slept even through the storm. But now he doesn't need to anymore. He is the living. He is the resurrected Lord going forward in the strength of his resurrection divine self and also with the, the victory. It's victory day. It's Death has been defeated. And so he is going out to tell the whole world the truth, the hope. So Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of that glorious declaration of the gospel to the world. Jesus is ready to take on that work. He is ready to Bring that truth to a world in need. And this work is, is understood in our church, uh, the sense of sacred history. From, from his resurrection through the centuries, we see Jesus at work. The, the history that you see in the history books is actually to be understood as sacred history. And to see Jesus, the living Lord, at work going farther is just a wonderful joy and confidence for our faith as we make our way along the journey with Jesus. And it gives us a sense of what we are here for and why we are called to keep going on that journey. So let me share with you some of the details of the plan for spreading the good news of the gospel that jesus has already explained to his disciples and that he is now ready to to take on and to work out and to fulfill the specific things the risen lord jesus is intending to do matthew 16 verse 18 we read that beautiful statement in response to peter's confession of faith and jesus says i will build my church I will build my church. And he's been doing that through the centuries. When we look at the history of the world, we see Jesus building his church. We see that's the work that he has been doing, establishing his kingdom. And that is also echoed in the parables that I shared with you as the call to worship, that mustard seed that begins so small and gets so big throughout the world. And the yeast that moves out through all the loaf, all the dough. That's what Jesus is doing, going out to do. In Acts 1 verse 8, he puts it very specifically when he is is just giving the disciples those final instructions. And he says to them, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the point. This is the vision. This is the instruction. This is the living Lord Jesus moving further, going out. And so that that initial church was in Jerusalem. And if you read in Acts 2, it was a a group, a growing group, 3,000 the first day, and, and people coming to faith, and there was that. But then it says in Acts 7, after the stoning of Stephen a persecution comes on the believers the believers are persecuted for their faith and after that it says specifically in acts 8 verse 1 that the persecution was used by god to send out the disciples with the good news they had hesitated they were nicely in jerusalem they were they had their church things were fine Everything seemed just good there, but God wanted them to go out. And so it says specifically, and it's a nice, the numbers are nice. Acts, 8, Acts 1, verse 8 says, Jesus says to them, Go out to Judea and Samaria. And Acts 8, verse 1 says, They went to Judea and Samaria. And what is that? It was a persecution. They didn't want a persecution. But the point of it was that the word has to go out. You have to go farther. You can't just stay here. The living Lord Jesus goes farther. And that becomes even more striking when one of the main persecutors, one of the people who held the coats of those who were stoning Stephen in Acts 7, Saul, who hated Christ, hated the church... That persecutor becomes the greatest prophet of the church going out. Paul, the apostle. And so Jesus is doing something, meeting Paul on the road. As he is going out to stop the church, Paul in Acts 9, Saul, he's he's on the road, he's going to get the church in Damascus, he's going to shut it down. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You are going to spread it. This is the the vision. This is the call. This is the purpose. This is the journey the living Lord is taking them on. And so Paul goes out, very much in the sense of the Lord Jesus saying in Luke 24, verse 28, I have to go farther. The gospel is going farther. The living word of truth is going farther. And it's so interesting as you see, Paul he goes out on his first missionary journey in Acts, and he has a clear sense of the living Lord leading him, and, and he does go farther beyond Samaria to the, the, the towns and villages up into Turkey in Asia Minor. And he plants some churches there, and it's it's a good thing. And then on his second missionary journey, Paul goes farther. And and he goes just, just further to the edges of, of Turkey and, and he tries to establish some more churches. But it's very striking in Acts 16, verse 7 to 9, where he has gone as far as he can go. He is not going to go any farther. He comes to the edge of the territory. He comes to Mysia and, and he has a sense of, of, okay, I'll, I'll have to go back this way or that way. And then very specifically, though he has gone as far as he can go, Jesus says in a dream to him, go farther. You have to go farther. I'm going farther. And there was, there was in Paul's mind too, the gospel doesn't go to Europe. It doesn't cross over to Macedonia. It doesn't go to Philippi. It's just for us here. and and But then he gets it. He sees the, the dream comes to him in Acts 16, and it says he goes, and he finds people there receptive to the gospel. The gospel comes to Europe, to Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth, and finally to Rome. He goes farther because Jesus says, I am going farther. And wherever he goes, he builds his church. So Matthew 16, verse 18 gets worked out in terms of the churches become established in all these places. And you see in the New Testament, after the Gospels, you have a number of letters. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. What are those? Those are places out there where the gospel has gone. And those are churches that are being established in areas unheard of. Oh, never, never the church would go there. It's there, doing amazing things. And so that vision is is captured again in the New Testament, the letters to the churches that continue to be taken and recorded and encouraging for the church in that ministry of going farther. Finally, uh, Romans 15. It's the only place specifically where Spain is mentioned. Spain is the end of the world. In that sense, going west. When Jesus says in Acts 1, verse 8, go to the end of the world, okay, (laughs) we're there now. Spain. The people knew about it a little bit. One of the places, Tarshish, that's mentioned in the Bible, Tarshish as a port, is in southern Spain near Gibraltar. It's mentioned in the book of Jonah. When Jonah wants to get away from God, he boards a ship to Tarshish. Where is Tarshish? Far end of the world. God cannot find you there. That's why he goes there that's the end of the world that's where god wants the word to go where jesus wants to go and so in romans 15 paul the apostle led by the spirit gets it he plans to go there we're not sure if he ever actually got there You see in Romans 15, he he is longing to go there. He would stop in in Rome on his way. He would want them to encourage and help him that the gospel would go farther because Luke 24, verse 28, Jesus is going farther. Eventually, the gospel does reach the churches in Europe and in Spain And for many of us here, we have ties back to the the immigration from Europe. That the gospel went through Europe and grew there and spread to North America and came to us here. We here are far, far from Jerusalem. We here are, Acts 1, verse 8, the ends of the earth. We are evidence of the fact that Jesus is going farther. He's going farther along a road that passes Emmaus and goes to Lacombe. We are along the same road, but Jesus goes farther. Farther is the ministry that Jesus has in mind. So that when we as a church here in Lacombe, praise the name of Jesus, the living Lord, we can be sure of his presence here among us. We don't have to go back to Jerusalem. He has gone out to us. And he continues to be with us. And he continues to call us to go farther. That is also... Part of the testimony of sacred history through the past two thousand years, proving the power and truth of the living Lord Jesus, establishing His kingdom. That reality, that it's it's actually impossible, because because from that starting point, from the Good Friday events, from the death of Jesus on the cross. the leader of the whole movement is dead. the The disciples are scattered. Uh, how can anything come from this work and ministry of Jesus? And the fact that Jesus has, in as the living Lord, built His church, and we also have the words of the Great Commission, Matthew, Matthew twenty eight, verses. 18 and 19, that we are to go out into all the world, making disciples of all nations and baptizing them. That work has been done and continues to be done. So so to, to see that in relation to the living Lord Jesus continuing to call and lead and guide us, that is The sacred history that encourages us. Jesus working all things to his end and his purpose. When we look at history, to see Jesus, to see his plan, his purpose, his work. And I just want to give you a few highlights of how we recognize that. The sacred history of God at work. First of all, just in those first 100 years from from his resurrection to uh, about the year 100, it, it's, it's hugely, hugely unexpected, completely unexpected that the Gentiles would come to faith. That's, that's just a, a shocking, remarkable, unusual thing that, that even in Acts 15, the, the church in Jerusalem had a special meeting because they, they just said that that doesn't happen. This is only for Jewish people. And and in those first hundred years, the fact that the Gentiles came in was amazing, was unbelievable. The living Lord Jesus by the Spirit touching the hearts and lives of Gentiles. From one hundred to two hundred, the church developed well, many things happened along the way. Just a few highlights though. The church developed worship, and it's it's fascinating. If you look at the history of, of the church drawing people into worship, and this is how the worship was was structured. Already at the beginning, the pastor led in an opening call to worship. There was a reading from the Old Testament followed by a song. There was a reading from the New Testament followed by a song. We do things like that. There was a sermon delivered by the pastor. The pastor was seated i don't know if we want to try that but that's yeah that's what they did initially then they had the lord's supper together which we do members brought their own small loaf of bread and a small flask of wine from home and those were combined and then they had lord's supper together the congregation had a time of prayer fairly lengthy time of prayer like our congregational prayer, and they left with a benediction. There was a a rhythm of worship, of the word, of prayer, of the Lord's Supper, of the sacrament, the same, what we are doing, they did. It, It centered the church on seeing God, seeing Jesus, worshiping him. The next thing, 200 to 300, was that the actual Bible came together this book, the Old and New Testament. The Old Testament was, was solidly in place, but during the time after Jesus' resurrection, what do you do? You have a number of gospels. You have a number of letters. How does that all fit together in terms of God's divine word to us? And so the church worked with that. They prayerfully reflected on all that that came before them in terms of the the apostles' eyewitness testimony to Jesus' work and ministry, the letters of Paul that were accepted as God speaking into the church. And so by the year 220, Origen of Alexander actually used a Bible with 27 27 New Testament books. He actually had... This Bible, and this was the authoritative word then, and to have that clearly at the center as a church, to have that word that we can turn to, that we can take, that we can trust as God's provision for us to understand his will, what a gift. What a gift to the church, to the world. And so... That moved forward to the point between 300 and 400 of Emperor Constantine, the Roman Emperor, who was aware of Christianity through his mother, Helena. And at a particular battle in 312, Constantine commanded his troops to put the sign of the cross on their shield. So just a general Roman cross. And he went forward, he had a a vision, God spoke to him that, that he would be victorious, and he was. And after that, he became a Christian, and his influence at that point just moved the church forward amazingly so that Christianity became the faith of the whole empire. The word went out to the known world. And he began to build churches. He began to support ministry all over the place. And that was really one of the central uh, things too that moved the Christian faith forward. After that, through 500 through 800, the, the missionary work, it struck me again, just looking it over this week, there was a church in the Ukraine, in Kiev, was established there at that time. The word went out. Right now, with all the struggles, we can remember, too, the Christians in Kiev. But that gospel message got to them. Jesus went farther. And you can think of other people, too. Uh, A particular people God used in the 1300s. John Wycliffe decided by the Spirit of God to translate the Bible into English and then into other languages. And the Wycliffe Bible translators continue to do that work. That the word would go out into all the world. And we, right now, we support John Vandermeer, who's in the Congo, doing some some computer supportive work so that the word can be translated into the languages of the people in the Congo. Because we know that Jesus wants the word to go farther. What are we doing in the Congo? Jesus goes farther, and we support that. We see that. We are part of that journey. We seek to be that instrument walking with the Lord Jesus. One of the highlights for us is the the Reformation, where... That sense of the word that had been waffling in the church as it was through the years comes back to the center. And so the Reformation, the Reformed faith, that's where we come. Again, our history, but that's again sacred history. That's God's word coming back to the center of faith and life. And that influenced again just ministry in general. And that was God again at work in Jesus to keep the witness true and pure. So we have sacred history. To see it, to recognize that it is the history of Jesus at work is central. Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church. And the church has gone out through all the world and it continues to go out. To have that sense of Acts 1 from Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth that we are still going out. That's part of who we are. That's part of what we do. And in Luke 24 verse 28 that Jesus is going farther encourages us that he has gone to us first of all to draw us to faith to have us be gathered here worshiping him what an encouragement what a blessing but also that we are challenged to go farther even us here now and so that sense of of our witness what is what is our witness we have some of those things that we do and i know even now there's there's like august coming back from mexico why why are we tied into mexico ensenada boy, we could save money, we could save time, we don't need to be doing that, we'll just fix the building here a little bit. No, we are called to go farther. And the Vorbeis, back from Cuba, why do you go? Because we are called to go farther. And that if in your life too, you see a place where you feel called to go farther, definitely, that's the Lord Jesus by the Spirit calling us always to go farther. Another thing, our classes here, Alberta North, is planting another church in Edmonton. We have the River Church and we have Mosaic House. Well, that's enough. Oh, that's plenty. No, it's not plenty. We need to go farther. And so Aaron Ow, who is a violinist in the Edmonton Symphony Orchestra, is training and planting a church on 118th Avenue in Edmonton. Well, that's a rundown spot. Really no potential there. And what's this violinist planting a church? Well, we don't need to be part of that. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because Jesus calls us to go farther. It's amazing that this even is coming together. And it's being richly blessed. And so to keep that sense before us, and and just finally, most specifically, just, just for us individually, the challenge comes to each of us again that we, where we are, always have the sense of going a little farther with the Lord. And that can be along the lines of Rick Abma's sense of talking to your neighbor. Well, I'm not comfortable talking to my neighbor. Well, Jesus wants you to go a little farther. Just, just across the property line. Just maybe the, ask them, how, how are you doing? I don't know them. Maybe I should get to know them. Oh, good idea. That we just feel a little uncomfortable. We are fine where we are. Why should we do that? Because. Jesus wants to go just a little farther with you. So to have that sense in in our lives too, what what could I do? What could I say? Even in a conversation, if you are talking with someone, someone who's not a Christian, and you can talk with them nicely, and you can talk about sports, and you can talk about Lacombe, and you can talk about their work, and, and, and what if you what if you go a little farther and what if you say do you have any any faith do you do you know jesus oh i can't say that oh i can't say that i don't know what to say what would happen go a little farther just a little farther say Jesus loves you. He's my Savior. He's the living Lord. He's right here with us right now. That you would go just a little farther. It's constantly something that Jesus wants us to do. Because he keeps going farther. Say, no, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to just stop right here. Say, no, no. Let's keep moving forward trusting the lord tremendous challenge tremendous comfort tremendous joy as we go forward trusting in our lord it's the vision that he wants us to have amen we are going to respond in singing uh, number 405 405 we serve a risen savior He's risen. He's living. He's in the world today.